Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. It's Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and on 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. And this game is over with the Lakers coming into Chicago and splitting the season series after the Bulls went in L.A. Sunday. Lakers come to Chicago and beat the Bulls. 121-110, Lakers. Yeah, hell yeah. You know, you don't want to have to, uh, you know, have it be a one-and-done situation. Uh, obviously, you have confidence of winning every game, but you want to give yourself the best possible odds. You know, at least that's how I do Zach Levine talking right there after the Bulls lose to the Los Angeles Lakers, 121-110. Bulls sitting at 36-40 right now currently. Still four games below 500. Um, trying to just solidify themselves in that play-in situation. And we get an opportunity to talk to one of the best right now joining us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He is the host of Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast, which can be heard right here on the Odyssey Network. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Mark Shanowski. Mark, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Gabe. Good to be with you tonight. Yeah, um, let's let's just jump right into it and talk about. I really don't even want to talk about the game yesterday as much as I want to talk about the team as a whole. But you know, we can live in that space. I mean, it was kind of a an awkward game with Zach not necessarily you know putting on the performance that he normally does, but Vooch kind of picking up you know some of that slack in certain situations. But it seemed as though the team was just they were a little bit off from the very beginning. Yeah, and there were matchup problems all over the court. You know, Billy Donovan has gone with this four-guard starting lineup, and in certain matchups, they really struggle to control their defensive backboard. I mean, that was one of the big talking points in Billy's post-game news conference. He talked about the fact that his guards are getting too deep, too far underneath the backboard, and not being able to to hold their rebounding position. They got killed on the offensive glass, too many second-chance points for the Lakers. And when you look at matchups around the league, when you're having Alex Caruso at 6'4", guarding LeBron James or guarding Jason Tatum or, or any other of the elite wing players in the league, you're going to have a lot of problems. As good a defensive player as Caruso is, he's just giving up too much size. And right now, of course, he's also battling that foot injury. Billy had to pull him out early in the second half because he didn't like the way he was moving. Uh, I, I think that the Bulls going into next season are going to really have to address the issue of getting more size on that front line. I think starting four guards makes it really problematic to rebound on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, it's tough, Mark, because the intention I understand. You want to have your, you know, some of your best defenders out there so you can limit the, the, the damage from the, very, from the very beginning of the game. But you're right. I mean, you saw the, the Lakers take advantage of it early, putting LeBron in the post you know, against Caruso and just operating the offense from right there, not necessarily trying to be a scoring threat, but more so just facilitating. Seeing You saw Austin Reeves you know, having a couple, couple good moments there. But, okay, so then in your mind, 
you know, what should that lineup look like for you? Or is that the lineup and it's just, you know, something that the, uh, that the Bulls are going to have to deal with? Well, I think it really goes back to roster construction. They decided mm-hmm. not to add another power forward to the roster at the beginning of the season. And that's an issue that really hasn't been addressed. You know, at times, Derek Jones Jr. gets some minutes, but he's only 6'5 or 6'6. You know, it's not really giving you a lot of size in the front line. Uh, and then with Andre Drummond away from the team yesterday, that just really exacerbated the problem because they were just getting killed when they went with their bench units. And, and right now, you know, they bring Kobe White and Iowa Sumo off the bench, and then they're just, you know, just even smaller. It's, it's just one of those situations where there's nothing they can do in the short term. That's going to be an issue they're going to have to look at in the summer. I think that generally I'd like to see Patrick Williams back in the starting lineup. I think that he gives you at least a guy that can guard uh, a, a positional wing on the perimeter and not have to give up so much size where you can just take him down to the post like they did with, with Lakers did with LeBron last night. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I mean, obviously I think every Bulls fan wants to see Pat Will doing well in, in the starting lineup because you know what he can be for this team. It, it's just, like you mentioned, it's roster construction and it, and it is unfortunate. You brought up Andre Drummond a second ago, Mark, and, you know, obviously he took the he's taking the break for the mental health. You know, you've been around the game a lot. What do you think are some of the biggest stressors for some of these players that are in the NBA playing in today's game? Well, you know, Andre Drummond is a former all-star. He's played at a very high level in Detroit. He was, you know, put together, I think, close to 50, 20, 20 games in his career. And so he's a guy that's accomplished in the league. It's not like he's a young guy trying to find his way. I think that there are stresses that go on in everybody's personal life. And sometimes it's, it's very difficult to put that aside and, and go about do your job, no matter what your job may be. We don't know exactly what is causing uh, the issues with Andre Drummond right now, and it would be unfair to try to speculate. But his, he's kind of been back and forth in the rotation. You know, some nights he'll get a lot of minutes. Other nights he barely plays. And I think that this has been a frustrating last couple of seasons for him. Remember last year he bounced around from uh, Philadelphia to Brooklyn, and you know, he's, he has bounced around a little bit since his all-star years in Detroit. And I think, you know, even though he's only like 29 years old, he's looking at the way the big man has gone in the league, and he's probably wondering about his professional future. I don't think that's the issue at, at, this, at this present moment. There might be something going on in his personal life that, that none of us know about. But I think that this has been a frustrating year for Drummond because he, Billy's kind of run hot and cold on him, and he really hasn't had a chance to consistently show what he could do on the court. That's a great point. We're talking to Mark Shanowski host of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast, Stays the King. Of course, you can get that right here on the Odyssey app. You know, Mark, I, 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 I look at Andre Drummond and I look at this team and it seems, I feel like you can say that about a number of players on this squad where not that Billy's necessarily been hot and co- or cold on them, but, you know, there's been parts of the season where guys have been playing at an extremely high level and then parts of the season where they just can't duplicate that success, whether you're talking about Io DeSumo, whether you're talking about Kobe White, Derek Jones Jr. without getting playing time. Uh, it just seems as though there hasn't been that, that consistency throughout the entire season. Well, because of the injury to Alonzo Ball, they were kind of mixing and matching at point guard. And Io DeSumo was getting most of those starts in the first two-thirds of the season. And one of the funny things is not only has Patrick Beverly come in and taken Io's spot in the starting lineup, but he's also taken his introduction. You know, the big fanfare from Chicago. (laughs) That was Io DeSumo for the first, you know, two-thirds of the season. And now Patrick Beverly's got the starting spot and the Chicago intro. And you can see that Io, it looks like he's fighting his confidence a little bit. He's reluctant to shoot. The shot's really not coming off his hand with a lot of conviction. And as a result, his percentages have not been good in recent weeks. It's, It's tough 
for the coaching staff to try to manage that many guards. But again, it goes back to roster construction. And even at the beginning of the year, why would you bring in Goran Dragic to add another guard to mm-hmm. the mix when you needed some size up front? I, I was always puzzled at that addition. You know, they said, well, that's, you know, he's a veteran presence. He's played in the finals and all the rest of it. And they were anticipating a deep playoff run. And, but why would Goran Dragic at 35 or 36 as your fifth or sixth guard be an impact player in a playoff run. So that one always was a bit of a head scratcher to me. Uh, I, I didn't understand why they didn't bring another power forward. I know that, you know, you go all the way back to the draft, the player that was taken directly in front of Dale and Terry was a kid named Tari Eason, who's played very well for the Houston Rockets, a six, eight, six, nine forward out of LSU who would look really good in a bulls uniform. Unfortunately, he was taking the pick before Terry. I don't know if the bulls would have, would have taken him had he been on the board, but that would have been a good fit. And you wonder, looking back, you know, maybe it would have been worth trying to move up a couple of spots and, and get more size on the roster. Or, you know, they could have also taken uh, Walker Kessler, who's, who's playing fantastic basketball in Utah, to give them some size and, and a guy that could potentially be in your rotation if Nikola Vucevic is not on the team after this year. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, it's been a while since the Bulls have had a, a point forward type. You know, I mean, we, see, we saw it. Yesterday with the Los Angeles Lakers, you saw Anthony Davis bring up the ball a lot, and you would. And I, even I was watching it like, damn, that might that seems cool. I mean, Vooch was bringing up the ball. You like it when Pat Will does it, you know, on a fast break. He's extremely capable of handling the rock there. But you're right. I mean, it, it's something that's been been given directly to guys like you know Zach and Pat Bev to do those things, and and you really do feel like you're missing out in, in that space. Uh, Mark, you mentioned Vooch. dude. Don't say that. I need Vooch to be here next year. I'm a, I'm a huge Vooch supporter. I went on a big rant last week about how, you know, there's only 10 guys in the NBA, 10 guys in the NBA that average over 10 rebounds a game, and Vooch is fifth in rebounding in the NBA. And he's just someone that I feel like can clean things up, good rebounder. I just I can't imagine a scenario where he's not here next year. Well, I think the most likely reason why he remains is that they gave up so much to get him, to see him walk away with getting nothing in return would be a huge indictment on, on the roster construction of the front office. I mean, you know, you gave up the, the two first-round draft picks as well as Wendell Carter Jr. The first one turned into Franz Wagner. We don't know what the second one will turn into. And it's just, you know, you gave up a ton to get him. So I think that the Bulls will make a very strong bid to keep him, but it is free agency, and he has the right to do whatever he wants. So, you know, you've kind of set up that scenario where he could walk out the door if you don't come up with a big offer. And with Zach already maxed out, and DeMar DeRozan potentially looking for a contract extension this summer. I mean, how much money are they going to spend? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has been very consistent in saying he will only go above the luxury tax if he felt his team had a chance to go deep into the playoffs. And this team has shown this year that they don't look like a team that's going to be able to go deep in the playoffs. I, I just don't know uh, if they're willing to extend themselves that much to try to keep both Vucevic and extend DeRozan this summer. Remember, they also have to have contract situations with Kobe White and Io. So there's a lot of moving parts with this Bulls roster as we look ahead to the summer, and that's going to be a huge story throughout the offseason. Who stays, who goes? And I think at this point, if the team you know, gets in the, pl- in the play-in and, and is not able to advance any further than that, they're going to have to take a hard look at this Levine-DeRozan tandem and decide if it's worth trying to, to keep that for another season. Most certainly going to be some changes uh, in the offseason regardless of, of what happens in these playoffs. Talking to Mark Shanowski host of Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast, and also the voice of the Windy City Bulls. I saw that uh, Carly Jones, I couldn't even believe it when I saw this. Carly Jones leading the, the, uh, leading the G League in, in points? 
for this season? That's crazy. I, I mean, what are we missing, or what what doesn't translate? Is it just playing time with a guy like Harley Jones? I mean, we saw it with Spencer Dinwiddie, a lot of guys that can score at a high level in the G League, and then they come to the NBA, and is, is it just like opportunity, or is it just, you know, different types of athletes that he's going up against? It's kind of all of the above, but the biggest reason – for Carly Jones, it's just the fact that he only stands about six one. We saw the one game where he got extended minutes when they had a lot of players out uh, a couple of months ago. He did not play well. Look rough. He struggled. <laughs> yeah, and and it, and I'm sure he was extremely nervous. I mean, all of a sudden he, he's playing at the G League, and Billy says, "Well, I got four guards out today. I'm going to put you in the rotation." And and you know he missed a couple of shots at the rim. He turned the ball over a couple of times, and I'm sure you know on the drive home from the arena he was just like kicking himself. And that was my big chance, and I didn't play well. But on the G League level, you know, he's outstanding. As you mentioned, he led the league in scoring. He got better and better as the season went on. I mean, he went from a standard G League contract to a two-way deal to a full NBA contract with the Bulls. He was an all-star in the G League. He led the league in scoring. His last game, he scored 44 points. And, you know, they, they lost the playoff spot by a tiebreaker. But he just kept getting better and better throughout the season. But, you know, you just don't know what, what that one intangible is that can get a smaller player to be a front goal from being a G League dominant player to be a productive rotation player in the NBA. I mean, just last year in the G League, I was calling games for Devon Dotson, who was outstanding with the Windy City Bulls, and he left the Bulls franchise, went to Washington, and then wound up back in the G League. It's just it's just tough for a guard in that six foot to six one range. If you're not a knockdown three point shooter and built strong enough to be able to hold your ground defensively, it's tough for coaches to give you a long look, and especially on a roster like the Bulls, as we mentioned, is overloaded with guards. You know, Carly just wasn't going to get the opportunity. I think that he can play in the NBA, but he's got to have the right situation and a coach that's really willing to give him a long leash. You're absolutely right. I mean, because he gets to the cup. It's just, yeah. you know, but you got to knock down the three and you got to be able to withstand all that all that contact when you do get to the cup so that you can't finish a la Derrick Rose. All right, before I get you out of here, Mark, you know, obviously there's only like six or seven games left before the season's over. Bulls obviously in that play-in situation what does your crystal ball tell you um, is going to happen to these Chicago Bulls with these last couple of weeks? Well, I was looking at the roster before I came on, and they've got six games left, three at home, three on the road. And I think that if you're being realistic, the most likely scenario is they finish three and three in those games, and they hold in the 10th spot, which would most likely mean they'll go to Toronto for a single elimination game in that play-in tournament. And if they were fortunate enough to win that, they would go back on the road to play most likely either the loser of the Atlanta-Miami Heat game. So you're saying they'd have to win two games to get the eighth spot in the tournament, which would mean you'd play either Milwaukee or Boston (laughs) in the first round of the playoffs. So I'm not painting a rosy picture of uh, playoff scenarios. But, you know, obviously it would be considered uh, somewhat of a success if they could get two wins in the play-in tournament, at least get another playoff series under their belt. But I think no matter what happens, we're going to see some significant changes to this roster coming up this summer. You know, right now, uh, my friend Casey Johnson reported that there is a scenario where they might be able to get a first-round draft pick because Portland wants to be able to reacquire the future that they owe the Bulls uh, so that they can uh, make some trades in the offseason. So that's something to watch during the summer, and I think that I think that the DeRozan-Levine tandem is going to be split. Most likely, I think they'll try to build around Zach because he's played exceptionally well over the last few months and he's also signed long term and he's the younger of the two so I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, DeMar DeRozan possibly involved in a trade in the offseason.
Mark, great stuff. Can't wait to talk to you after the Bulls uh, win two games and then have to face the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to be tough. Well, well, I'll look forward to previewing that with you yeah. next week, okay? <laughs> all right, Mark. Have a great <laughs> evening, all right? All right, thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Of course, Mark Shanowski. Give me the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacy King. Got to check it out on the Odyssey app. Got to download it. Go ahead and subscribe to that channel so you can get all the updates when they put out new episodes. All right, coming up after the break, today is opening day in Major League Baseball. Cubs take down the Milwaukee Brewers 4 nothing, And our guy, Michael Cerami, uh, he was there. Can we get a chance to talk to him? What did he think of the game and the speed of the game? We'll talk to him next. It's Gabe Ramirez here on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We're back live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. Swing at the ground ball to second base. Horner has it. Go to second. There's one. Swanson to first. That's a double play. That's a double play to end the inning. And the 0-1. Base hit to right field. Cubs take the lead. Corner around second. He's going to third. The throw. And it's not in time. And a wild throw at first. Corner's going to try to score. He will. Cubs lead 2 to nothing. Sixth inning. Hits a ground ball. One hop. Glove by Swanson. Sliding. Gets up. Throws to first to get him. And the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. The ball in the dirt. Gomes throws to first. Cubs win the ball game. Ah, the beautiful sound of Pat Hughes telling me what I want to hear. Cubs win today 4 nothing, And to chat with us just a little bit about it. Nah, a lot of it. Uh, joining us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. From Bleacher Nation, it's our guy. I hope he's sober right now. That's what I really hope. Michael Cerami. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, I only had a couple of those beer bats today. I'm, uh, yeah. I got plenty of soberness. No, left. dude, no, dude. I saw your tweet talking about the snake. I know half of those were yours. Don't, don't try to fool me. <laughs> it's cool. Hey, listen, I'm used to having uh, drunk conversations about the Cubs anyway. So this, this is gonna be no different. Nah, I know you're sober, man. I want you to first of all, before we even get into game, paint a picture for me for those that weren't there at the friendly confines for opening day. What was that like? What was the energy like? Even just walking into the stadium. Oh, it, it was actually, um, you know, I've been to the last, I think I counted today, um, except for 2020, for obvious reasons, I was at the last um, eight opening days, and this was um, probably the highest energy since uh, 2015, when John Lester was there for the first time, um, and it was some of the best weather. I mean, we've had terrible, freezing, cold, rainy opening days. Today it was beautiful. Uh, Cubs versus Brewers is always great. The fact that they were able to get to Corbin Burns, who's an NL Cy Young contender this year, um, is great. The energy was was awesome. And I think a big part of that is that there's just so many new faces on the Cubs this year. And it really feels it's, it's, there's a, it's a little bit of a relief, I think, for Cubs fans after 
struggling so long to make the end of the last era of Cubs baseball last and stretch that out. Um, that, was, that was stressful. And I think this was kind of like a little bit relieving. It was like, hey, we got new guys, new arms. We have new hitters uh, at all kinds of different positions. Uh, Nico Horner got extended. I mean, the energy was fantastic. I think when you're looking at this team, Michael, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think when you're, you're thinking about the reinjection of life into the fan base where, you know, for the last couple of years, you were just like, ah, oh, damn, is, is Contreras leaving? Is this going to happen? Is this? So to see a brand new roster of fresh faces, or not a brand new, but, you know, the majority of the guys in there with fresh faces and thinking to yourself, okay, well, at least the, at least, at least management cares about us a little bit, where they're willing to put a, a decent product on the field. And then when you're able to put out, you know, Marcus Stroman, who, you know, last year, you still were uncertain whether or not he can be that full-fledged ace for you, but he gets on the bump. You know, pitches six innings, you know, just just absolute lights out baseball today. Eight, eight Ks, you know, only gave up three hits. I mean, it feels good. What do you think about the pitching? Because I think for me, Michael, that that was the, the big issue going into the season. You knew you were going to have good defense. You knew the Cubs were going to be a scrappy team, kind of like how they were last year, putting together some runs, a run or two. But it was the pitching for me that, that was still a question mark. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think cutting into the season, I, I would say that the offense was probably the biggest – question mark for me there's a lot of guys with a lot of upside but a lot of variability that had a lot of up and down years for some of the the starters around the diamond but for me the pitching um it kind of goes hand in hand with the defense right so they have a lot of guys um marcus stroman normally not today is a guy that puts the ball in play and that's what they're allows the ball to be put in play excuse me that's what a lot of the rotation is built around weak contact and that's why they invested so heavily in uh defense cody bellinger uh, Jan Gomes and T- Tucker uh, Barnhart behind the plate, and then obviously Nico and Dan to be up the middle. Um, Ian Happ's a gold glover in left field. They invested in their defense because they knew the style of pitching that they're going to be uh, employing throughout the year is very contact-oriented. You know, today, Marcus Schumann went out and struck out eight uh, Brewers, which was a little unexpected. Um, also a little unexpected that he had three walks. I mean, that's not a typical Marcus Schumann line, but he got the job done. Um, only one pitch clock violation, not too shabby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, and the Cubs were able to bring home a win um, against the Brewers, against Corbin Burns, and in the first half. And those are all three things that are going to be really important for this team to succeed and avoid selling off in July. They're going to have to win games against a division early in the season. So that was just one game. There's a huge long season coming. Cubs beat Corbin Burns on opening day last year, and it, it didn't end up going anywhere. But <laughs> this is the type of thing they they need to capitalize early if they're going to avoid selling off in July, and that's exactly what they did today. You got to have feel-good moments, and that's why we're okay with a game like today. We're talking to Michael Sarami from Bleacher Nation here on 670 The Score. I'm Gabe Ramirez. Now, you, we were at opening day, so you got to see the pace of play, you know, up close and personal. I was mentioning earlier, I was at Giordano's, you know, sitting at the bar, eating lunch special, drinking a brew. And, but, but, but you were there. Did it feel different? Like the, the inability to, you know, cause if, if the seventh, in, seventh inning's coming that much faster, that means less, less, I get to keep harping on the beer aspect of it, but you know, less drinks. I'm talking about the, the, the feel of the game from a fan's perspective, not just from the on-field product, but the experience as a whole. What was that like for you? I think it took me longer to get down Irving Park to 90 <laughs> on the way home than the game. No, so uh, the game did it did feel faster. Now, you know, it wasn't a particularly long game as it would have been anyway. I mean, there wasn't a ton of run score. There weren't a ton of hits. That's the kind of stuff that can drag a game out. Um, so the pace was fast, but we were definitely talking about it in the bleachers. Everybody was talking about 
the pace and how it felt um, quicker than usual. And it's not, it's not that the game was shorter, but the pace was certainly elevated and it was definitely noticeable. Now, personally, I thought it was nice. I think it was a good thing. Um, and for everyone listening out there, I don't think they stopped serving beers in the seventh inning. So you can uh, keep that uh, in your back pocket. Yes. Maybe they're trying to make, make up a little bit of that money that they thought they were going to lose a shorter game. So um, it was noticeable, certainly, but I think it's a good thing for baseball. Um, no one, we don't need shorter games, but we do need games where the activity is happening uh, all the time. There does not need to be time in between action actually on the field. And if that has the happy byproduct of maybe increasing offense because pitchers are pitching with a little bit more pace. And if it also uh, ends up helping pitcher health, which is a little bit counterintuitive, but it's that's sort of been the case in the minor leagues. Pitchers aren't able to max effort every pitch because they can recover for 30 seconds in between pitches. That actually keeps them healthier because they're not max that's effort a great point. throwing. Um, then that can all be, it could be a, it could be a, you know, a collective good for the sport. And so it was, it was enjoyable. It was a, you know, I'm sure the wind helped, but Hey, listen, if they're going to get their butts kicked, I'd rather it happen in two and a half hours and three and a half hours. Yeah. No need for you to be on Irving park longer than the game when they're getting their butts kicked right there. Uh, <laughs> I, I know myself and sometimes, you know, squirrels can pass by and I just, I, I lose my train of thought immediately. And I, I can't, I'm trying to imagine myself at Comiskey next week and trying to watch a game, but I, you know, I'm always looking for like the 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 miles per hour on the pitch or what kind of pitch it was. You know, if I didn't necessarily catch, so I'm always looking at the scoreboard, and I can't imagine a scenario where I'm not looking at the pitch clock. Did you find yourself as a fan in stadium? Because obviously they're not showing it on the broadcast, but when you're in the actual stadium itself, are, were your eyes glued to that, or did you feel like you were still, you know, locked in on the pitcher and the batter? You know, I think that I felt that way for the first inning and a half because it was new. It was brand new. Hmm. And you can see it, you know, it's very clear from the stadium where it is and what it's at. And I think we were just a little, you know, anxious to see exactly how it was, how close it was aligned to the actual delivery of the pitch. Um, and I don't know, just, just the mechanics of it, how it would be reset, when it would reset. Um, but, you know, it quickly blended into the background. And after a couple innings, it was not, you know, the only topic of discussion was, oh my God, it's already the, sixth inning like that's crazy not let's keep talking about the pitch clock it, it blended away and I do think that I, I you know I'm not trying to minimize how big of a change it is to baseball it is a big change um I do think it's something that everyone's going to get very quickly used to including the players but especially the fans and before too long it'll be an afterthought and we're just going to have you know better paced games, uh, more full of action. I love hearing that. I love hearing that because then I can see myself, now that you painted that picture for me, Michael, where I'm looking at the clock for the first inning and then once that that, that is worn off, then I'm, I can get myself back into the game. Uh, and when I'm looking at this Cubs game today, they went 4 nothing versus the Brewers. Obviously, next game happening Saturday. You can hear it right here on 670, the score. You know, you see the style of, of game today and you think to yourself, this is the blueprint for the Chicago Cubs. But do you think this is something that they can keep up? They can keep winning games like they did today, you know, small ball, you know, not necessarily home runs, just running the base pass intelligently, you know, and trying to put together some some good outings from your pitchers. Do you think that they can stay on this pace? Not not this pace, obviously you want to know, but just, you know, be a team that's above 500. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, listen, it's the, no one would with a straight face tell you the Cubs are obvious, you know, World Series contenders this year. And with the powerful teams in the NL East and West, even the wild cards kind of 
going to be an uphill battle. So I think the only path to the playoffs for them is going to be uh, through winning the division. And in that sense, you know, the Cardinals and Brewers are arguably better than them, certainly better than them on paper. However, if the Cubs are going to make that, that dent in the race, um, a lot of it, it's going to be exactly wins like today. Uh, where pitching and defense shine. Maybe it's a lower scoring game, but the Cubs are able to grind down opposing starters um, by putting the ball in play and, and, and taking their walks and uh, not hitting for power, but hitting opportunistically. Um, that's what we saw them do today. And, you know, until, say, a Suzuki comes back, until one of their top prospects like Matt Mervis or Brendan Davis comes up and can inject a little bit more power into the lineup, they're going to have to win the way they won today. And so, yeah, I'd say this is exactly the blueprint for what you want to see out of them. Um, as soon as they start trying to win slugfest, that's when they're going to start losing because they don't have the firepower to keep up with some of the better offenses, um, certainly in the National League. So, um, that's that's definitely the blueprint, I'd say. Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to try to go toe-to-toe with some of these uh, big, big teams with big bats on there. Uh, Michael, when you're looking at this squad, though, you mentioned, obviously, the injection of power from some of the younger guys that could potentially come up, but they're not here yet. So when you're looking at this team right now, and it could be from the pitching staff or just from the roster in general, who, who do you think is the most important player for the Chicago Cubs this year? This is a great question. I, I have two answers. Um, I, I know exactly what my answers are. Um, one on the pitching side, one on the hitting side. On the pitching side, it's Justin Steele. Um, I think he's sort of the the pivot point in this rotation. This is, he broke out, um, you know, he, he arrived a couple years ago, but he broke out big last year as a starter, really started to show some impressive, closer to front end stuff, um, extreme contact manager, really at the high end of managing the exit velocities of the hitters that he was facing. Um, if he can, and he's in the middle of his prime and he's cost controlled. And if he can turn into a, you know, more of a number two than a number three or four, um, then that really transforms the entire Cubs rotation. On the hitting side, it's Seiya Suzuki. We saw, you know, he, he's never going to be the guy he was through his first three weeks of the season last year, which was <laughs> otherworldly. But after he dealt with injuries and slumped and adjusted and the league adjusted back and he adjusted again, he finished really strong. And he's probably got the, mo- the singular most offensive upside uh, for 2023 of anyone in the entire Cubs organization. So, if he's able to take that next step forward, another guy who's right in the middle of his prime, then this Cubs lineup lengthens quite a bit. And I'm pretty optimistic about him returning from his oblique injury, um, in part because of the reports that we saw out of spring training from the guys that were on the ground and talking about what he was doing, um, both working out in the complex but also on the field, and the fact that the Cubs didn't actually play him in the last Texas League game. You might think that's a bad sign. Well, it actually is possibly uh, a, a transaction quirk where you can backdate your injured list by uh, three days so long as a player hasn't appeared in a game. So the Cactus League game would have counted. So if he's able to come back within, uh, they want to IL him like they did, they could bring him back before 10 days because they can backdate his IL stint three days going back into spring training. So he might be back as soon as seven days, missing only six games. And that would be huge for the Cubs because, again, this lineup is lacking power and it's lacking pop and they need someone like him in the middle of the lineup. Uh, so I do think he is, you know, the, the big variable on, on the hitting side and Justin Steele would be the big variable on the pitching side. I love Justin Steele. Loved watching him last year. I love what he did for this team. I love how Rossi got the best out of him. I mean, it was, so that's a great person. And then say, I, you know, you're right. You just haven't seen, you just want to see more of them. Right. And then, and if he's someone that can be, 
you know, a, an awesome defender, but at the same time, you know, be someone that can add some power to the lineup. Then he's going to be a well, he's going to be welcomed uh, back uh, to the north side most certainly. Uh, we're talking to Michael Sarami from Bleacher Nation here on six seventy the score. Gabe Ramirez. All right, before I get you out of here, now people are going to be able to hang out with you, right? You guys got a nice, uh, guys got a cool event happening. HVAC. I've been to that place a couple times. Um, if, if, if the if the walls could talk, they I'd shut them up immediately. Uh, but tell me a little bit more about this event you guys got going on. Yeah, so we're doing a big uh, Bleacher Nation event at uh, HVAC Pub in Wrigleyville. Um, it's right by the stadium. We're doing it Thursday, April sixth, from five to nine p.m. We're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna talk some Bears. We're gonna talk Cubs uh, with David Kaplan's actually gonna be there and talking to Cubs with me and Brett and then our prospect guy Brian. Uh, we're gonna do a live panel. We'll take questions. Uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas, who's the actor and kid from Rookie of the Year, is going to be there. We're going to talk to him about his time filming that movie at Wrigley Field. Then his band is going to play. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be food. Um, if you go to BleacherNation.com, there's a tab right on the top that says Live BN Event. You click that, and you can sign up and get tickets. And uh, I hope you guys all come because it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to talk a lot of Cubs baseball and a lot of Bears stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Bears world, too, and we're excited to get into all of that. So if you're around on Thursday – Come on by because it's going to be a good time. It's the first time we've ever done anything like it, and I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's always good to see people live and in person, man, and get live reactions. So that that does seem like a cool event. Make sure you guys check that out, BleacherNation.com, so you can grab tickets. Michael, appreciate you hanging out with me. Always love talking to you about these Cubs. Hopefully we can catch a game together. Day game, though. I need It only could be a day game. I got kids, man. Yeah, I, you, know, you got it. And I love you day drinking. It. I love day drinking, so this is great. All right. <laughs> Mike, have a great night, all right? Uh, you too. Thanks a lot. Of course, Michael Sarami. From Bleacher Nation, make sure you guys follow on Michael underscore uh, Sarami on Twitter. All right, great stuff over there. They're doing some good stuff on Bleacher Nation as well. You know, uh, Sean, my 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 uh, my Cubs guy over here. Uh, did the Justin Steele? I know you said you said Saya, you called it, but did the Justin Steele one kind of shock you from the pitching staff? To who was the most important player? Um, it didn't surprise me. I think like when you talk about like who's going to stand out, it's probably like him or, or Hayden Wisniewski, right? Mm-hmm. Those are those two guys you see with a lot of upside. For me, I think it's Marcus Stroman. And I, I just think Why, just, because you need him to be the ace, 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 but he's not. I don't think you need to be an ace, but we just need to see the guy we saw in the second half and not the guy that like had a lot of like mechanical issues. He said he just didn't feel right. And this is coming from a guy that had like worked all off season to feel like he could start spring training on a roll. So I feel like he worked some things. Tommy Hadovy and him. And honestly, I think honestly having two veteran catchers makes a big difference yeah. for him. But that's a guy I'm like, as long as he's steady, I think the rest of his rotation can survive because there's going to be changes. People are going to to come in and out of this. I'm going to tell you right now, the most important pitcher is going to be Michael Fulmer. Because you guys are going to be in a lot of close games. That's true. And if you guys do have a one-run lead going into the 8th, ninth, you need someone that could just lock it down. The last thing this team needs is to scrap through eight innings, be winning 3-2, to two, and then blow it. Because that's going to be heartbreaking to the squad, and it's going to tear down a little bit of confidence. that the, you know The confidence that does exist after a game like today you know, if you're if you're losing heartbreakers and those pile up because of the inability to close games, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. So to me, I think he's the most important pitcher on this squad, someone that can lock it down at the end. 
I can see that. I uh, The only thing I, I think with the Cubs is they've just been really good at putting together bullpens without spending a lot of money. And they just seem to find reclamation progress. Like like uh, Andrew Chafin, Ryan Tapiro last year, they pulled up David Robertson and he became their closer. These are guys that they've been flipping. Now that they get to keep them, <laughs> yeah. you assume, hopefully they should be able to find that. But I agree, if Fulmer is a bust, there's not too many guys right now that you could plug in and say, yeah, for sure. Be tough. Mm-hmm. Be tough for the Chicago. And we but- saw last year when you fall behind, you know, 20 games in the division you don't uh you don't win the division hey but Rossi's gonna make them play hard baby that's what we do know of course the Chicago Cubs winning today for nothing versus the Milwaukee Brewers next game will be Saturday right here on 670 the score a first pitch is going to be at 120 so make sure you guys are here for that one as well all right uh we're gonna talk about bigger bigger bears you know you got some Cubs now we get to talk about some bears on the other side you know there's been some harsh texts that came in about my 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 defensive line uh, desire at the number nine pick. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Clay Harbor, nine-year NFL vet, is going to be hanging out with us at 820. But let's talk some Bears as we lead into that, all right? We'll do that on the other side. It's Gabe Ramirez right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and on 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I know, you know, one people have wondered about, you know, the Bears trading down. Could that be a spot for you, Justin? Is that something you've thought about at all? That chance of potentially reuniting? Yeah, Justin? yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just had a great talk with the um, Bears offensive line coach. Amazing guy. I talked with Justin uh, about four days ago. Um, so I think be able to keep up with him. And to me, he's like a, a big bro to me. You know, when I came in as a recruit, he used to look after me. You know, um, so my mom was really tight with his mom. So whenever I came up here, you know, I know I was going to be with him. So I'm going to be able to play him my freshman year and stuff like that. And um, I think being able to play with him again and be able to protect him, I think that'd be full circle. He came in when I was still learning. Now I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to go. And now to take care of him. I think it'd be super cool, you know? That was draft prospect Paris Johnson Jr. Of course, he played at Ohio State with Justin Fields. You know, being asked the question about whether or not, you know, you want to play. Like, of course, duh. The only person that's going to say no is C.J. Stroud. That's literally the only person that's going to say that they don't want to play with Justin Fields. But, you know, I ruffled some feathers earlier. Sean, let's clear the lines, man, because I want to take some phone calls. Um, You know, I ruffled some feathers earlier with my desire for the Bears to take a defensive lineman with the number nine pick. Like, somebody came down hard on me. You know what? I, I don't care. I'll read this text message. Somebody said... Because uh, I was on with Mark Grody earlier. I said, Grody, please put this B96er know nothing in his place. Constantly sounds like an uninformed homer. Why? Because I wanted a defensive lineman? Because I said I didn't want an offensive lineman in the number nine pick? First of all, the, first, the initial statement I said was number, uh, an offensive lineman at the number nine is just not sexy. And I think that that's a fair statement. I think you should validate that. It's not. Yeah, it's boring. It's boring. It's like, boring. I, okay, fine. But that doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking because I want to, because I don't want to, I don't think it's sexy like 80% of Chicago. Then in somebody else same in and said, hey, it's, at, and, and, and I want to shout this guy out from the 847, right? Because I appreciate the interaction. I love reading the text messages. I love calls that come in. But he said, it's absolutely key to fix the O line. We have to know this year. These are the capitalized. We have to know this year whether Fields has the goods. Way more important than 2023 wins. Listen, first of all, I, I, I understand repeatables. And what I mean by that is things you hear and read that you then regurgitate and you feel as though they are fact, right? 
And so the statement that we have to know this year whether Fields has the goods, I, un- I-, I agree with that. But to say that you can't address the O-line in the second round, and if you get a second-round offensive lineman, then, then you can't possibly get someone that can help Justin Fields. That's, that's just asinine. That's, just, that's, just, that's foolish. Because then, then what happens if Ryan Poles goes out and drafts a defensive lineman at number nine? Are you now all of a sudden turning on Ryan Poles, saying that he's an idiot because he didn't take an offensive lineman at number That's foolish. But here's what I want to do. Again, I just told Sean Sears, producer extraordinaire today, to clear the lines because I do want to know. And we're going to be talking about this for a little bit. Again, Clay Harbor hanging out uh, at 820, so he's going to come out. We're going to discuss this as well. But 312-644-6767. Again, 312-644-6767. With that number nine pick, offensive lineman or defensive lineman? I don't want to hear your outlier of a cornerback. Don't want that. Don't want to hear Bijan Robin. Don't want that. And don't want to, no, no, no. It's either offensive lineman or defensive lineman. Now, if all 10 of our lines light up with an offensive lineman and an argument with it, then I'll feel like an ass. All right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I highly doubt that that's going to happen because there are people out there that want to get a defensive. Like me, I want to, I, t- I asked Gertie, he said, who's the best player on the Bears defense? Couldn't name anybody. Now, he, of course, you can name, he can name the entire defense. But there wasn't a standout, surefire, definitively the best player on defense without you having to have some sort of argument. And my stance is simply, I would like a defensive lineman that you can point to and be like, stud. Stud. Yeah. Yeah. Tremaine Evans, awesome. Great. But Anthony Heron, who I do a lot of shows with, will tell you that, you know, he's not as good as Roquan Smith. He's good but he's not as good. All right, so he's not going to be the standout player that you want him to be. But wouldn't you like to have one guy on the defense that you can point to? It can't be Eddie Jackson. It can't be Jaquan Brisker. You want, I want, this is Chicago. This isn't Kansas City. I I don't need, you know, I don't need, I, I want an offense that can score points, but Justin Fields has proven that already. I made that very clear. Justin had four or five games where he put up 30 points with a crap wide receiver room and a crap offensive line. What do you mean we have to know if this is our – you know he put up 30-some points with crap. And you know why they lost those games? Because the defense was bigger crap. So So I'm just making the argument that, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a defensive lineman at the number nine pick. Now, I will say this. Someone did text in and say, Hey, you know what? I'd be more inclined to trade the number nine for a couple other choices to shore up the offensive line. I get that. Okay, you trade down from nine because you don't, you know, you're not really feeling anybody on the offensive line right then and there at number nine, and maybe you're not loving, you know, who's there, or you feel like someone else can be had a little further down the line. Someone is going to make a move for a top wide receiver. Why? Because if you look at who is picking. From 9 to 18, there is a handful of teams, a handful, that need a wide receiver. And if you're able to get the best wide receiver in the draft, then you're likely to trade up the same way the Carolina Panthers were to get that first pick so that that way they can draft their quarterback of the future. So if you're telling me that at 9, 
someone's going to get you down to 12 or 13 so that that way, you know, you can get the, because think about it, right? If you're sitting at nine and let's just say it's, let's say it's the Houston Texans because they hear that the Patriots or the commanders want to move up and take Jordan Addison from USC, Quentin Johnston from TCU. Well, now you're not, you're no longer worried about them being taken further down in the draft. So that bumps everybody down a little bit. So at 12, you still have your pick of offensive linemen. You can still take any of the top three that you love. Now let's revisit the conversation. Gabe, would you like an offensive lineman at 12? Would you like an offensive lineman at 13? Yes. Now that doesn't, that, now that's sexy because you've given me the top one, two, or three offensive linemen in the draft at 12. I love that. 13, I love that. Nine? Nine? The Bears better not be picking top 10 for the next five years. That's the hope, at least. So, again, I want to open up these phone lines because I want to hear from you. You got the number nine pick in the draft. Are you? Why do you want to go offensive line? Or why do you want to go defensive lineman in those positions? I want to take your calls after the break. We'll talk a little bit more Bears. But, again, offensive line or defensive line? This is a, an interactive show today, whether you're texting in or whether you're calling in. We're going to be talking about it. 312-644-6767. We'll take your calls after the break. I'm Gabe Ramirez, and this is 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 